your real mother? Just a little bit. She died when I was very young. What do you remember? Just images, really. Feelings. Tell me. She was very beautiful. Kind, but sad. Why are you asking me this? Force is strong in my family. My father has it. I have it. And my sister has it. It's a girl. Yes. It's you, Leia. This is Jason. And this is Gabe. And later, we are going to be talking about Tatooine Ghost. Have you heard of it? Came out in March 2003, the old EU of Leia learning about her father. Leia watches the prequels. <laughs> it's kind of a bonus Phantom Menace month because it's you could almost call it part two of the Phantom Menace novelization in a way because... There's a lot of Phantom Menace Attack of the Clones prequel magic in this book. Troy Denning wrote it. It's it's an amazing read. It's one of my favorite books of the the old EU and we're going to be going all through it. But first if you can believe it, there's actually news. There's things that qualify as news. <laughs> like we haven't had real news in months and months. It's it's all because I went on vacation and I was in the woods of northern Michigan where I couldn't check the news and then all this news happened. So maybe I just need to be away more often so everyone else can get news. I don't know if at any time during during your trip into the wilderness of northern Michigan you're like looking up at the sky and maybe it's going to rain and it's it's the approaching storm yeah. of Star Wars news like we're just on the cusp of a full-on storm that's going to last us all the way through mid-December. 
it, it was pretty cloudy when I was there, so I think it was the storm rolling in, the Star Wars storm, rise of Skywalker, getting ready to strike. Storm's coming up, Gabe. You better get home quick. My bones are aching. Oh. Uh, so what's our, our, our first news item? Let's talk about resistance. Oh my God, can you believe it? Resistance. It's the resistance. back it's gone at the same time so crazy because like oh hey new resistance trailer cool watching it oh this looks cool then seriously i was watching it and i was like wait they don't mean the end (laughs) what the conclusion wait what it i think it's surprised i don't think there was one single person who was just like well that makes sense i guess the best way to think about it is when we make shows like in the u.s we usually make tv shows and they're always open-ended, and they stay on forever as long as people keep watching them. But in other countries, they'll make a show that's one or two seasons, and that's just what it is. And then it ends, and then they make a new show. Maybe they just always planned for this just to be like two seasons and then done, or two seasons and maybe a Disney Plus movie or something. Like, it was making me think of like the British version of The Office. I think that was like two seasons, and then there was like a TV movie that like wrapped up any loose ends. Like, maybe the you know, maybe Lucasfilm's trying to do something like that. And it's not like, oh, Resistance was a failure. They canceled it. It's like maybe it was just always planned to just kind of be this short and sweet thing. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But, I mean, it, that would make total sense. And the other thing I thought, who knows if if it's ending in name only? Because we've already gotten Clone Wars characters who showed up in Rebels. Is it no longer going to be called Star Wars Resistance, but there's going to be a new animated show called Star Wars Something Else, and Kaz and his friends are going to show up with other new characters. Like it's, we're kind of in, I think, uncharted territory with Lucasfilm Animation with Disney Plus on the horizon. The I don't know what the ratings for Resistance were. I mean, I I don't think we ever try to pretend like we're the kind of people that know how all these things work or know how multi-billion-dollar studios and things like that work. But I I just know that a lot of people though don't have Disney XD or Disney Kids or the, even the Disney Channel. Period. Like in their cable package, but. Everyone is going to get Disney Plus. And I I was always like, I think we had said, like, oh, is the second season of Resistance just going to go straight to Disney Plus? And then, like, the entire first season be able to watch on there? Because I feel like a lot more people would watch that show were it on this streaming thing that we're all going to get. Well, and and if you pay attention to the way TV shows and especially animation work, like, they've been making this show for years already like it's coming out now but it's been done probably for a long time or at least the the bulk of the work so who knows when they started resistance if they even knew what disney plus was or is or was going to be and now that it's a thing yeah who's to say that on disney plus there isn't star wars colossus and it's the same characters and it's just a different show that's continuing where star wars resistance left off so it's it's really hard to really know how to feel at this point because there's so many questions about what is the future going to be and we haven't seen the season maybe by the end of the season you're like oh it makes sense while it's ending it really is this self-contained story but some of it's probably just there's a lot of hurt feelings from the way clone wars kind of ended i don't feel like this is that same sort of situation 
Well, I think everything you said is a great way to look at it, too, because like in a way, Clone Wars has never ended. The Clone Wars story continued in so many episodes of Rebels with Ahsoka, Captain Rex. The Clone Wars show is coming back just as it is, you know? None of this is ever done. I don't think it's the last we've ever seen of the crew from Rebels, whether they show up in live action or in whatever future animation. So though this the show, Star Wars Resistance, may be ending, it's definitely, I don't think it's the end of the story for these characters, like you were saying. And I don't know. But it was a shock. I mean, one thing that Celebration Chicago, I remember when we were walking in once and we were like, what is this giant line? And we, like, we went up to somebody in line, and we we're like, what is this line? And people are like, this is the resistance panel. And we we're like, oh, my God, it was huge. Yeah, but what we've seen of season two has definitely got us sucked in to be excited because it seems like the slow build of season one kind of is exploding into season two. We have Kylo Ren showing up. We have space battles. We have super battle droids. There's lots of like weird classes of new like First Order troopers. Kaz in a uh, the Matt the radar technician costume, which is a cool little little thing. The trailer for season two looks like just a whole lot of fun. I mean, it looks great. Yeah, I can't wait. Like I was saying too, I just hope it all does end up on Disney Plus, and I hope just more people get to see it that way. I mean, the same with rebels too because like rebels never even made it to like netflix in the united states like i imagine there's still so many people that just aren't as familiar with rebels even oh and that reminded me that was the other thing that as much as it feels like a shock that this is only maybe two seasons rebels was only four maybe more new shows that have shorter seasons is what they're going for and because like we said the characters from the shows can kind of come and go between the different shows so maybe the plan going forward is to just do more stuff because it's sad that we're maybe losing resistance. But if it's replaced by something new that we love just as much, I mean, who wants to say no to new Star Wars stuff? I don't. <laughs> Bring it on. So speaking of new Star Wars stuff, we got some very brief, but real juicy, Ryan Johnson news. Ryan Johnson, the director of the upcoming Star Wars The Last Jedi, will create a brand new Star Wars trilogy, the first film of which he will write and direct with longtime collaborator Ron Bergman producing. Myths are not made to sell action figures. Myths are made to reflect the most difficult transitions we go through in life. It's like Ryan Johnson was cooking a big steak and he just let the juices drip down into our mouth and ears from the sky. Some appetizers. So that crazy man, he had a quote. I think the fun and challenging part of it is to dive in, to figure out what's exciting and then figure out what it's going to be, he said. We're doing something that steps beyond the legacy characters. What does that look like? To me, the blue sky element of it is what was the most striking about it. I know the way I'm coming at it and what's fun about it for everyone in George Lucas's film is figuring out what's the next step. 
it makes you really think and figure out what the essence of Star Wars is for me and what it will look like moving forward. That's pretty vague. It doesn't say very much, but it's enough to get us really, really excited. <laughs> he's speaking He's speaking our language. Yeah, I want to see Star Wars stuff that I didn't know I wanted to see and that I have no idea what I'm going to see. And I think a lot of people are waiting for that. That's, that's all we want. Let's get into microscopic force organisms. <laughs> I hope he's having dinner with George Lucas. Let's do a whole movie about amoebas, cell division. I don't even care. I want the main character of Ryan Johnson's movie to be a talking potato. Like literally a potato. Not something that looks like a potato. Like it's a potato. And the, after the first movie, the movie, like a cell, divides into two movies. Yes. And now all of a sudden, there's two new Star Wars movies. But then those two divide, and now there's four Star Wars movies. I cannot wait. I, I love it. I, I think he's the perfect person to do what he's doing, to get weird and get out there and to explore beyond the, the legacy characters. I don't know. I th- I think it's really exciting. I mean, you think of his the way he told the story in The Last Jedi and the way he tells stories in general. And for him not to be boxed in with the rules of telling a story about Luke Skywalker and stuff, I, for him to have even more freedom in what he can do with Star Wars, I think is really, really, really exciting. Yeah, it's going to be a long wait, a painful long wait <laughs> to find out even what these are before we even see them. But I have a feeling it's going to be worth it. Next, I mean, we're almost one year away from Anaheim, but if there's some kind of Ryan Johnson spills the beans panel where he literally comes out on a stage and spills a jar of beans and everyone in the audience gets to eat one bean. Oh, it'll be the best bean I've ever had in my life. I've been a lot of places, but I ain't been nowhere like this. (laughs) (laughs) A little goes a long way when we're talking about Ryan Johnson and beans, star Wars, beans and potatoes written and directed by Ryan Johnson. Getting back to some healthy vegetables. Remember when star Wars was a healthy snack? Well, so do I. All right, and our final bit of news. Oh my God, what's going on with Kenobi now? What's happening? Relax. Take a deep breath. Hello there. Hello there. First, there's going to be Kenobi. There's not going to be Kenobi. There is going to be a Kenobi. There's not going to be a Kenobi. I read an article that said there's going to be a Kenobi. Then I read an article that said there's not going to be a Kenobi. Now that now it's back. It, fade, it, it shows up. It fades away. Dreams pass in time. I heard Ewan McGregor is going to come to San Diego Comic-Con, and he's going to play a drum solo in the middle of the place and then announce to everyone that he's going to be Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it doesn't happen. I saw Ewan McGregor on a motorcycle riding on the street, screaming, Kenobi's coming! Kenobi's coming! This episode will come out on Tuesday. On Thursday of last week, the internet burst into flames, where early in the morning, it was just like, hey, Kenobi, sources confirm, Kenobi, Disney Plus TV show. And then by the end of the day, Variety was like writing about it. Like Ewan McGregor is going to do a Disney Plus show, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's going to direct some episodes and he's going to have a familiar droid companion. What the heck does that mean? 
nobody knows. It's driving us all crazy. So, and when this episode comes out on Tuesday, in just a matter of days, D23 is happening. They there's going to be a presentation for Disney Plus. There were rumors for a very long time that there was a third live action Star Wars TV show in the making. <laughs> I feel like we have said this before, but it seems legit this time. Yeah, all the pieces seem to fit, but until it is a thing, it's hard to believe it. I want to believe it. After so many times, you promised. It would be a little weird to have two shows on Tatooine, because isn't Mandalorian on Tatooine, too? Well, at least the first season. In the future, it could go somewhere else. But then maybe that's a reason they do it, because they can just reuse the sets for both. And I feel like we've talked about this before, but I love the idea that it started as a movie and then stretching it out as an eight-episode series, I think, is cool. It kind of takes the pressure away from doing a two-hour movie where you sit in the theater and eat popcorn called Star Wars, which is a guy with a beard in the desert being sad. (laughs) (laughs) I think you could explore that more in a TV, in a series, in a long-form story. I I started thinking, I was like, okay, if this really happens, it's been what? How many, 15 years since Revenge of the Sith? How many years has it been? Almost 15. It'll be 15 next year. So if we're going in real time... Luke Skywalker is almost Mark Hamill age, but Ewan McGregor also doesn't, hasn't aged like a normal human being. (laughs) It's kind of weird. Ewan McGregor is not at Alec Guinness level. So then I started thinking, well, if they set it 10 years after Sith, where Luke would be roughly Anakin's age, he was in Phantom Menace. That could be really interesting. Yeah, that would be a good time frame. I started thinking too, what if the story starts to revolve around an imperial presence showing up on Tatooine, like almost like what we saw in Rebels, where like where the Empire is just going planet by planet and kind of occupying the planets. And because Tatooine is so far on the outer rim, if the, the Empire is not really concerned, but if stormtroopers start to show up on Tatooine, and if Kenobi starts to go into high alert, but and the interesting thing I started thinking about with Kenobi is he cannot ever reveal himself if he gets spotted. By anyone who would ever recognize him, it's done. Except for he didn't have a problem whipping his lightsaber out in the cantina. (laughs) But I guess at that point, he already had Luke with him, so it was okay. So that would be interesting for for all the people who just want Obi-Wan to show up and kick butt. He may never be able to even use his lightsaber in this show. It's literally just Obi-Wan talking to people. The idea of casting a 10-year-old boy as young Luke, I think, would be really exciting. We could get more more Aunt Beru. That would be like a given. I don't know. Well, they've did some neat stuff with that in the comics with the Obi-Wan interacting with a young Luke and Buttonheads with Owen Lars. So there's definitely meat there for a good story. And if Ewan McGregor's back, is Joel Edgerton going to come back? He seemed to have been game for get Buttonheads with old Kenobi again. So that would be pretty wild. In a matter of days, D23 is going to happen, and this is going to sound really foolish, because either it's going to get announced or it's not, and then we're just going to be back into this horrible cycle of, well, what about the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing? But today we're going to, we're going to live in the moment, and we're going to pretend that it's real. <laughs> you must do what you feel is right, of course. All I know is if it happens, I'm going to have to watch it upside down. I'm going to have to put bags of ice on my feet. Watch it through a welding helmet. 
with sunglasses over it. Doesn't burn out your brain. Get a kiddie pool and fill it with ice. Just sit and watch it. Get a snow hat, fill it with dry ice, put it on your head. Because <laughs> otherwise, with regular ice, you'd just be so wet. At least dry ice just turns to gas. Just sit and watch it with a fire extinguisher. And just spray it on your face every 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm okay now, everybody. Fire sprinklers in your house, in your roof. So when you burst into flames, it just cools you down. Stay tuned. <laughs> we could be getting some more news in a matter of days. Everyone, light your candles, cross your fingers. Maybe it's really going to happen this time. We'll find out. Hey, guys, what's up? Uh, Kiss It Is Yoni here. Just want to say uh, Blast Points Rules. That's Thanks awesome. for watching. Thank you so much. So we've finally gotten to the point where we can talk about Tatooine Ghost. Like we said at the start of the episode, it came out in March 2003. It's by author Troy Dunning. I think before we go forward, we're going to be getting into, if you want to call them spoilers for this book, we're going to be talking about things that happen specifically in this book. So if you're worried about spoilers, that's cool. It is a 16-year-old book. <laughs> You've had plenty of time to read it. Yeah, if you feel like you need to read it first, this episode will be here when you're done and you can come back. But yeah, we're going to get into the details because this book is really all about the details because it's a wonderful book that gets into some crazy details. Pretty inexpensive online. I think you can get a paperback uh, on Amazon for $5 or less. And it's it's really worth it. And I feel like... A lot of times when people talk about like their favorite books from the old EU, I don't really see this book come up too often as I feel or as much as it should because I remember I read I read it back in 2003 and I remember being like this book is blowing my mind and I've like I feel like I have talked about this book for the past 16 years. <laughs> I don't think you've told me about it though. <laughs> You talk to like everybody but me about it because I didn't know this book. And part of it's I wasn't I've never been super into the books. But in all these years, I don't remember you ever just saying, Gabe, you got to read this book until we decided to do the episode on it. So I just read it recently. I wish I would have read it in 2003. I would have definitely enjoyed it then because I think we talked about in a recent episode how I think the time between clones and Sith, I was losing my mind with Star Wars fever and looking for anything and everything to uh, to calm me down, and this book would have been perfect. I have failed you. I have failed you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was thinking though. Two thousand three was kind of the dark ages where we didn't really have instant messenger and text messaging, and you know, it was like I would talk to you every month or so. <laughs> it's the dark times. I read this amazing Star Wars book, but I have no idea how to contact Gabe. <laughs> You had to send me a letter by Pony Express or something. Written with, I have a, a pen with a big feather on the end. <laughs> you must read the book Tatooine Ghost, good sir. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's an amazing read. And I don't blame people for being hesitant for diving into the old EU, the Legends material, is it called? Whatever you want to call it. Because a lot of those books, like you can't just pick up any book from the New Jedi Order series 
or the 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 Yuzan Vong and be like, I'm just going to read this random book because if you haven't read the the 44 books that came before it, you have no clue what's going on. But one nice thing with Tatooine Ghost is you really can pick it up, read it today, and have no knowledge of the the characters, the stuff from the old EU, and it really it still kind of works today. Even if you think of like Han and Leia and all the the characters in it. In relation to the sequel trilogy, even it, it's kind of it's an evergreen kind of book. It still really works. It seems like its purpose was to kind of tie together the original trilogy post Return of the Jedi with prequel trilogy, but with the way the sequel trilogies panned out, it fits right in with that too. So yeah, until there's another book that comes along and changes what's in this book, everything in this book just fits right into place, and it kind of adds to your feelings about the prequels and adds even to, I think you kind of your feelings about the sequels because a, a part of the book is, is Han and Leia talking about having kids and we kind of, now we know how that turns out and it kind of makes the book even better. It, it really, really does. So I'll do a little bit of background. I guess Lucasfilm came to Troy Denning uh, after he did the star by star book in the new Jedi order. And they approached him with the idea of a novel dealing with, Leia learning about her father, and they suggested the idea of Leia finding Shmi's diary. And I guess uh, Troy Denning had read Kevin J. Anderson and Ralph McQuarrie's incredible The Illustrated Star Wars Universe book, which one day we got to do a whole episode just about that wild piece of madness that, that Illustrated Star Wars Universe tour guide, whatever craziness book. And he's, his quote was that he became entranced with the idea of Alderaan's long-lost colony of Killicks. And he came up with this idea of a painting called Killick Twilight, weird piece of moss art that was used as a framing piece in the story to kind of connect Leia with somehow finding her grandmother's diary which is an interesting thing because like the book kind of we'll, we'll get into it in much more detail but it it starts after a dynamic kind of prologue it kind of goes into like a standard kind of star wars novel kind of thing where you're kind of like eh, leia's like what kill like twilight they're going to tattooing to buy a painting yeah, kind of. Well, it kind of lulls you into like, okay, whatever. Yeah, they're on Tatooine. They're in disguises. Okay, they're doing normal old Star Warsy kind of stuff. But then, yeah, all of a sudden, these prequel connections to her father and to Phantom Menace really start to peek in, and you start to think, wait, what? What is this book? What's happening? Well, in the whole kind of the plot of Han and Leia going to Tatooine to get this old painting from Alderaan. Of the which has like a secret map hidden in the back of the painting. It kind of really reminded me a lot of The Last Jedi, actually, where Finn and Rose going to Canto Bite to find the Master Codebreaker and to do all this stuff. They're doing this, and you're thinking it while you're watching it, like, oh, okay, they're going on this little adventure, but like the adventure they go on is not as important as what it means for the characters. It's that's secondary for the real reason why they're doing these things. Yeah. Cause by the end of the book, you're not, whether they find the painting or not kind of 
becomes beside the point. The real meat of the story is just Leia discovering her past and how her past pertains to her future. And she does that by yeah, kind of running into the ghosts of her father, of Anakin's, what he, what the people of Tatooine thought about this little boy, Anakin Skywalker. And, and then, yeah, finding her mom's diary and kind of filling in the gaps in her own history. Before they even get to Tatooine, there's an amazing part right at the very beginning. It's the prologue thing where it's basically Leia is having a dream where they're in space. She's looking out the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon. She begins to hear Palpatine laughing, which is eerie coming still close to the Rise of Skywalker trailer. And in space, she begins to see the face of Palpatine forming like in the stars. And you just hear Palpatine saying, mine. And then Palpatine's face morphs into Vader's mask, which then morphs into Luke's face. Having just come off so recently, we did an episode on the the Phantom Menace novelization. And such a major theme of that book was Anakin's dreams. And we went on about what's the deal with Jedi and dreams, with these visions they have when their mind is at rest. And here's Leia's dreams which is something just never really talked about. And it's so interesting, you know, Leia and how the Force speaks to her. Yeah, and especially how she kind of, in the book, admits she wishes maybe she focused more on learning the Force, but she was preoccupied with Leia stuff. (laughs) Diplomacy and admissions, and it's almost that over the course of the book, it's like the Force is pushing Leia to not only kind of begin to listen to the force within herself, but it's kind of pushing her to connect with people from her father's past and kind of, I guess the over overarching thing is at the beginning, she, she resents Darth Vader. She still kind of has, has not forgiven Darth Vader the way Luke has. And over the course of the book, as she learns more about Anakin Skywalker, the person she starts to come to terms with who he was and kind of let the past die and not be obsessed over her anger towards him and kind of just kind of come to terms with it all, and which ties into her concerns of having children, which they kind of hint at early on in the book that Han kind of wants to have kids, and Leia knows what that Skywalker blood can be and can do, and she's not, she's scared of it. Yeah, like we were saying, ties right into the sequel trilogy. You get, every time they're talking about having kids, I mean, now, you cannot read this nowadays without thinking of Ben Solo. Yeah, it's almost like when they were writing the sequel trilogy, somebody read Tatooine Ghosts <laughs> <laughs> and said, we, we should read this book. Because all the kind of just, you know, learning about the good parts of Anakin and contrasting that with how by the end he, you know, made the choices he did to eventually become Darth Vader, it kind of you know, is just reiterating the idea that Darth Vader was not an evil person to begin with. And it was, it was bad choices that led him down that path. And ultimately the same sort of bad choices are what happened to Leia and Han's son. And he's not, he wasn't born an evil person. It's just the choices he made led him down the wrong path. Reading this book in 2003, which was just one year after Attack of the Clones was in the movie theater, it resonated with me in a way where Revenge of the Sith wasn't even out yet at that time. We had not fully seen Anakin's full fall to the dark side yet. And the book 
does an amazing job of kind of taking what's only in episodes one and two and highlighting it and circling it for the people that didn't quite get it when they saw it in the theater being like, this is what's going on in these movies. This is why the prequels are not even back then what people thought they were. These movies are part of this overall story, this bigger saga, and it fits perfectly together, all of it. And here is your proof in this book. Like we're <laughs> we're gonna explain it to you real slowly so you can understand. Well, there's even the part towards the end where Han basically explains the end of Return of the Jedi and how Darth Vader saved everyone in that Maybe that was okay that he was evil for a while because no one but him could have got close enough to the emperor and saved everybody. Well, and I, I love one part where Leia's basically, hey, Han, I just learned all this crazy stuff about my father, Anakin Skywalker. You know, he was just, he was the nicest boy in the galaxy. And Han has a line like, well, so you mean he wasn't tying thermal detonators to Bantha's tails yeah. when they were young? Yeah. I think that's what a lot of people were kind of expecting in The Phantom Menace. And, you know, people that didn't get that Anakin was this sweet little boy with a bull haircut. But I, I think people still don't get that. But it makes total sense. Like, And, you know, like I said, this book puts a flashlight. Like, <laughs> read this. This is telling you. Yeah, because it's funny. You could almost say at the beginning of the book, Princess Leia wasn't a fan of the prequels, but by the end of the book, she understands them and <laughs> and accepts them as a great, great chapters in the Star Wars saga. She, she went back and watched them and was kind of like, OK, now that I'm, the hype has kind of died down, I kind of get it now. And Han's just like, man, I like those movies since they came out. I don't know what you're talking about. So they land on tattooing. They're going to buy this paint, this moss painting. They happen to run into a very interesting person there, right? Yes. That was the moment where I was sold on this book, basically. In the, what, the second chapter, third chapter. Who's at the auction selling a, what, a hologram video of the Boonta Eve pod race? Mr. Kitster, Anakin's best friend. He kept a hologram recording of the boon to eve all this time we learned later that he kept it on a mantle in kitster's house because it was his best friend we learned that like of all of anakin's old friends they still talk about him the legend of the human boy that won the boon to eve no one can still believe it well and i think it was fun reading this so soon after reading the phantom menace novel because i remember weren't we talking about in the phantom menace novelization they have the scene where anakin says goodbye to kitster and doesn't he give him money in the book or does he just say goodbye to him because a big part of this is that kitster tells Leia how Anakin gave him some of the winnings and he was able to use that money to basically buy a manners book and train himself so he could eventually get a job and, and free and basically buy him his way out of slavery. So maybe in the book, he didn't actually give him the money, but there's at least the scene where we know Anakin goes back and sees Kitster and tells him goodbye. But yeah, a lot of this is greatest hits of Phantom Menace mixed in with this Han and Leia story. Cause every time, as the story goes on, she just keeps running into Anakin's old friends. We meet Kitster. We run into Wald, who I think it's implied he owns Watto's junk shop now. I think so. Yeah, I think so. 
if Kitster and Wald were not enough, we run into a very old Odie Mandrell. <laughs> well, it's even better too that the there's you know of course we have to have Han Solo riding a swoop bike to be a to be a cool EU Han story, but we learn that on Tatooine swoop bike racing has replaced pod racing and they basically go to the old pod racing track but now it's a swoop racing track and who works there but none other than kind of disfigured Odie Mandrell from too many pod race crashes (laughs) and Han basically has to get a super swoop bike that's just a pod racer engine with a seat on top of it which was a great visual image to have of Harrison Ford just riding on a like a pod racer engine with like a little a little seat on it (laughs) a little bicycle seat on it or something yeah at this point, all Leia has is the recording of the the, the Boon to Eve, him of Anakin winning the Boon to Eve, and kind of what she's gathered from Wald and Kitster, and we meet Kitster's wife and what Kitster has heard about Anakin. But Leia kind of can't stop asking about Anakin Skywalker. She's like really kind of getting curious about this point. And there's a great moment halfway through the book where. She's like, well, I've got to call Luke because Luke's off doing God knows what somewhere. And she's like, I've got to tell Luke what's going on. And she's like, Luke, you're not going to believe this. I learned a whole bunch of stuff about our father, Anakin Skywalker. Everyone on this planet says he was the nicest boy they've ever met. And it's so great that Luke is like so chill about it. He's like smiling as Leia's telling him all this stuff like, Luke's just kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. I believe it. Well, he even, doesn't he even say, yeah, I believe it because I I did a Holonet search on Anakin Skywalker and I knew he ran the pod race and like he knew some of that stuff because he'd been checking up on on young Anakin on the on the Google <laughs> space Google, yeah, <laughs> the Star Wars Google, yeah. But it is, yeah, Luke being chill and just waiting for Leia to figure out on her own because he knew that she wasn't ready to hear that stuff. She didn't want to hear any of that. She barely wanted to. She barely had, had acknowledged it when she first saw the hologram. And Luke has a great line at the end where he warns her about giving into her anger with with her dealing with the feelings of her father and kind of coming to peace with it. And that that moment was so cool because it got my mind just racing of the whole idea of Jedi having to learn on their own. Luke did all the stuff with Yoda on Dagobah, but almost Luke's real training in The Empire Strikes Back. He kind of learned about the Force on Dagobah, but his real training was with Vader and how he dealt with what Vader told him at the end of that movie. That's like his real Jedi training. And that made me think about Rey and all the people like, well, she didn't get trained. It's like, no, her real training is what she learns on her own. And it's like with all teaching situations, like you can go to school. We talked about this before. You can go to school, you can get all the degrees in the world and still be, still have not knowledge on how to do things. You know, like you really learn things when you do things on your own. That's just the way it is. And that's kind of what Leia goes through in this book. Like this book is almost Leia's learning about the force and what that means to her and learning about controlling her her deepest anger that she has. Like Leia goes into the, the force cave in this book in a way and conf- confronts her greatest fear. Yeah. Well, that's a really good way to put it. Cause this is kind of, and it's, it's neat to think about cause we never really got, I mean, Luke and Leia are twins. They're the, 
pretty close to the same person. And we got to see Luke dealing with his gifts and the force and his relationship with his father. But we never really got to see Leia's take on that and how she would handle those situations. And this book, yeah, is almost like it's Leia's Empire Strikes Back in Return of the Jedi of her dealing with her hatred of her father and ultimately coming to peace with her father and his choices and his decisions and her turning away from anger and kind of turning to acceptance and, and love and being willing to look to the future, which basically is the end of the book is Han saying he wants children because they're basically admitting that the future is going to be okay. Well, and like we said too, how, what happens in this book still kind of connects even with the sequel trilogy, whether it was intentional or not. I think of the scene in Force Awakens with Han and Leia, where Leia is the one saying, no, Han, there is still good in Ben Solo. There's still light in him. We lost our son forever. No, it was Snoke. He seduced our son to the dark side, but we can still save him. Me. You. If Luke couldn't reach him, how could I? Luke is a Jedi. You're his father. There's still light in him. I know it. Leia is the one, possibly like the only one, the Han and Luke, that still believes in Ben Solo. Insanely curious how that's going to play out in The Rise of Skywalker. I think that's the the sign of a good Star Wars book, too, where it gets the characters and the mythology and all of it so right that it sends you on those mental tangents. Like, I never thought about that. Well, and it does that intermixed with Wald and Kitster and Odie Mandrell. And there's a lot of Watto in this book. So much Watto. So, but yeah. So this sandstorm hits Tatooine. Leia ends up at the old moisture farm that's now owned by Biggs family, by the Darklighter family. And they give Leia this data pad that used to belong to Shmi. And there's a really kind of heavy punch in the gut moment where they say they found the data pad buried in the mushrooms out by the evaporators. And you're like, oh, no, don't remind me. So while this sandstorm is going on outside, Leia basically watches Shmi's home movies. She was recording. So she sees Shmi's face. Shmi was recording these movies for Anakin to basically record her life to give it one day to Anakin when she saw him again. And so she watches all these messages Shmi recorded. And yeah, there's a lot of Watto. There's a lot of Wald. There's a lot of Kitster. As prequel fans, it's awesome because it's kind of like what happened to Shmi after Phantom Menace. But it's also really, really sad. (laughs) Well, I think that's the thing I I liked so much is is it's that perfect balance between being goofy and serious to where you're kind of laughing that this is kind of ridiculous, but then, you know, Shmi will say something and you'll be kind of like, Oh, you know, you get sad or it'll be a sweet moment. And it's like, you kind of realize how much you miss these characters. Like there's a bunch of stuff about Watto where you kind of start to feel bad for Watto. Shmi's recording a video for Anakin and Watto kind of pops up in the background and he's like, how many pod races has he won? <laughs> Is he still racing pods? Oh, that boy, I miss him. Yeah, Shmi talks about how she thinks Watto actually really does miss Anakin and, and ties in with, you know, he's, how he was in Attack of the Clones. Like, he was kind of 
Anakin leaving was hard on him. Look at you, a Jedi. You probably don't notice me with the hat, huh? We find out about Shmi meeting Klieg and kind of some of their early dates. And we get a little bit of information on young little Owen. There's a really great part where Shmi learns that Qui-Gon was killed. And she starts to freak out because she's like, who's watching over my son? She overhears something that this battle on this faraway planet, Naboo, there was a young boy that saved the day and saved everyone. And it's a great part where Shmi's like, God, I wonder if that was little Annie. And it's like, oh, Shmi, I just want to come over there with my Blu-ray Phantom Menace. We can watch it together. <laughs> you just gotta, we'll just watch the end. It's okay. And Kitster and all of Anakin's friends show up at Shmi's house for Anakin's 11th birthday. And they all record messages for Annie. Wald or somebody is like, hey, Annie, how's it going at Jedi school? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. there's and there's like a really neat part where a Falline woman shows up at Shmi's door, which for all you playing along at home, the Falline were the same species as the, the magical Prince Gizor. So <laughs> shows up with a package for Shmi. It's a really small kind of part of the book, but it's so insanely cool that it was included in there. That basically Qui-Gon, in the 20 minutes he had back on Coruscant, sent Shmi a package, which ends up being the the thing she needs to buy her freedom from Watto. Some sort of was a part for, it was a rare part for some of the junk, a, a junked ship in Watto's junkyard. Yeah, like some really rare, valuable ship that Qui-Gon shot, saw in Watto's junkyard that was missing one part. And if it had this one part, it would be worth so much money. It almost makes you think that if there's a, there's an extra scene where when Qui-Gon's talking about his ship, not working that Watto probably tried to sell him that ship and they realized it was missing that part. Qui-Gon got back. He knew he wasn't able to free Shmi too, but in that brief time he had where they were like, are going to Coruscant, they're going back to Naboo and then he dies. He figured out a way really quick to make sure that Shmi would get freed. If she couldn't be with her son, at least she wouldn't be a slave. I don't know. I just read that and I was like, oh. Qui-Gon, you old softy. That's why you're not on the council. We, we meet Baru's sister, Dama, which, I don't know, we did Baru's clues. We didn't know she had a sister, Dama. <laughs> if only we knew. Yeah, she has a sister who runs a fancy hotel, basically, on Tatooine that folk, that's all about water. And there's just page after page about people taking baths and drinking water in this hotel. So Dama basically tells Leia all about Owen and Beru. There's a fascinating part where Owen removed the the headstones from the funeral scene in Attack of the Clones. Which, when I read that, I had to like put the book down for a minute and be like, wait a minute. Luke's whole life, Shmi's body was right there. He never knew. Dama tells uh, Leia all about Attack of the Clones, about how Anakin left to go find Shmi, and then he came back with her body, and she was already dead. And it, Basically, it's Leia watching Attack of the Clones, or someone describing all the events of Attack of the Clones to Leia. Which, again, like I was saying, it's basically just circling and underlining all the major events of the prequel of Episodes 1 and 2. And basically letting you know, yes, 
Leia figured it out. She knew what happened in the prequels. There's a whole recording of the pod race that uh, Leia watches, and Leia actually hears the voice of Jar Jar. <laughs> well, and I think isn't that during the pod race where there's a there's an extra part of Shmi seeing Sabalba up to his dirty tricks, and she she shouts out, "Oh, that Doug!" <laughs> Which we've all said at one time or another. Every time you watch the pod race, oh, that Doug Sabalba. You troublemaker. Leia watches footage of Shmi and Kleeg's wedding, and Kitster is there, and Wald, and the girl Amy, which I believe is uh, one of the ball-playing friends, I want to believe. I think so. My favorite part of Shmi and Kleeg's wedding, though, is that Watto shows up uninvited, which every time I read that or think of that, all I can think of is Watto flying in with, like, a bow tie. Yeah. (laughs) I know I wasn't invited, but I came anyway. Dude, can I cut the cake? Does anyone do that yet? Watto catches the bouquet. I guess I'm next. (laughs) Leia somehow ends up at Obi-Wan's hut, and she starts actually feeling the presence of Obi-Wan Kenobi. There's there's an amazing part. It's on page 345. I'm just going to read a little bit of it, because it... Like so much of this book, it resonates so much into all of Star Wars, even new Star Wars. Leia could almost feel him behind her. She's talking about Obi-Wan. Brooding over his failure as the first sun's light crept out over the sands. How terrible the burden must have been. How deep his sorrow that she could still feel it nine years after his departure. He stood there every morning, reciting the names of the Jedi and friends lost to Darth Vader's saber. Had he reviewed his every conversation with Anakin Skywalker, re-examined every lesson he had taught, rebuked himself each dawn for his inadequacies as a Jedi master? This book came out in 2003, Years and years before, basically, what Luke Skywalker goes through, that exact same thing in The Last Jedi. Where I feel like not too long ago, too, we talked, I think it was in our our commentary we did for The Last Jedi, where we were like, well, what's up with Luke kind of being bitter towards Obi-Wan? Well, Luke really is Obi-Wan. He's how Leia feels Obi-Wan's presence in that moment and feels his guilt and his sorrow. That's Luke. In The Last Jedi. Well, I really like that scene, too, because it, it's kind of, it makes sense why maybe Leia would name her son Ben. Because she kind of felt an empathy towards what he was feeling about Anakin. Because it was what she started to feel about Anakin in this book. That there was this, he was this good person that just made a wrong choice and became this bad person. And was it someone's fault that it happened? Was Could it have been prevented? And she kind of feels a kind of a connection with Obi-Wan that maybe she didn't have previously. This Obi-Wan moment is towards the end of the book. And it's kind of the, when she goes to Obi-Wan's old hut, it's kind of where all of her feelings about Anakin start to get wrapped up. It's in those moments in the hut where she starts to kind of come to her conclusions about her father and forgiving her father and not giving in to her hatred, being at peace with the past. You know, he blew up Alderaan. He was a bad dude, you know, but she watches the prequels and she kind of, Obi-Wan kind of talks to her in that moment. And yeah, like you said, I think I hadn't even thought about that. That's the fact that she did name her son Ben. And that's really kind of cool. (laughs) 
Blind, the book ends with a climax at a Tuscan village where everybody kind of, the stormtroopers end up and the Tuscan raiders end up and our heroes end up. And we find out that basically the sand people took Kitster to sacrifice him to this ghost, which we find out is just kind of the memory of, of Anakin and his dark deeds that night on Tatooine that the sand people kind of still celebrate or are still scared of this ghost that showed up and kind of massacred them. So Leia basically comes face to face with where her grandmother was captured and tortured and rescued and ultimately dies with Anakin. Yeah. And where Anakin's real descent to the dark side begins the, the guilt he felt with what he did in the Tuscan village the guilt he later drags into his thinking he killed Padme and their unborn child. It was the the beginnings of Darth Vader at that very moment. And we also get a great exchange between Leia and Han with Leia as the person who's not too sure about the prequels and Han, the all-time prequel fan about how Anakin, even though he killed all those sand people, it doesn't make him a monster. And Han's like, I, I could see myself doing that. It doesn't, it's not right, but it doesn't make me a monster. And Leia's not too sure that he's not too far gone at that point. So it's like, it's like they're on Twitter arguing about the, uh, is he a hero or not? <laughs> Han's, Han's just like, you know, the Battle of Geonosis, that's some next level filmmaking. Didn't get anything like that in the original tri- trilogy, Leia. I'm sorry. Chewbacca high fives them. I think we've gone above and beyond with explaining why Tatooine Ghost is an amazing book. It's it's the original trilogy. It's the prequel trilogy. It's like I said, it it, it spoke to me in a way in 2003 and in 2019. It speaks to me in a completely different way. It's one of my favorite books from the EU. I'm so sorry I didn't tell you about it earlier. <laughs> Maybe you did, and I just I didn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> You're sending me smoke signals, and I I misinterpreted them. But yeah, it's I second that. It's it's a great Star Wars story. If you enjoy the prequels and the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy, if you like it all, this is a great book that kind of ties everything together, and it really. F- fits in well with the films and the characters feel true to the characters you see in the movies. It didn't, no one seemed weird and out of place or not behaving like you think they would. And just getting more time with those prequel characters through Leia's eyes is just a lot of fun to read. Anakin, don't do anything without first consulting either myself or the council. He's holding me back. I'm a Jedi. A Jedi? What do you know? The boy has exceptional skills. His abilities have made him arrogant. You're not all powerful, Annie. Well, I should be. I see you becoming the greatest of all Jedi. No, Anakin, no! Rated PG. Electronic lightsabers. Which side will you choose? The side of Anakin Skywalker or the dark side of Darth Tyrannus? With clashing sounds and light up blades, the force is in your hands with Star Wars electronic lightsabers, each sold separately. A 
This is Captain Rex. You're listening to Jason and Gabe on Blast Points. And these blast points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. Okay, so iTunes, Apple Podcast Review. We've got a bunch, and we can't wait to read them. We don't have time this week. We went a little, <laughs> we weren't expecting all this crazy news, and Tatooine Ghosts is just too good. So hopefully in coming weeks, we will get to all the wonderful reviews you folks have left for us over there on Apple Podcasts. But if you want to add your review to that list, you should go over there after you're done listening, write us a little something, and we will read yours, just like all the other ones that we have to get to eventually very soon. And check us out on BlastPointsPodcast.com, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and sign up for the Blast Points Star Wars Chill Group on Facebook. It's the best. And on BlastPointsPodcast.com, we have, a, I think it was there before, but now it's definitely there. There's a search function. It's really cool. So if you're a new listener to the show, you want to hear all the episodes we've done on a particular subject, Last Jedi, Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back, books, comics, whatever, search on the website and it will show you everything we've done on whatever topic you may be interested in. And if you like the show and you want to help us out even more, feel free to sign up for our Patreon and you can help out the show and get a few bonus episodes each month. We just had an episode come out not too long ago, but the final episode of Ewoks cartoon, Ewoks in Space. It's crazy. Yes. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know. It's Ewoks in Space. It's the good stuff. That's over there at the Patreon. You should check it out. D23 is next week. <laughs> it's either going to be something or it's going to be nothing. <laughs> we guarantee it's one of those two. <sighs> yeah. Deep breaths. Stretches. Get ready. Pack the kids in the car. We're going to Sizzler. Yeah. <laughs> I heard chicken and shrimp is on special next week. <laughs> but that about wraps up episode 184, Tatooine Ghost. Thank you, each and every one of you, for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. push stop i forgot we got to do all the we didn't we didn't we didn't end yet yeah that's true okay all right we'll just end it up then may the force be with